When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire, I'd like to give all the loyal listeners a uh, pretty cool pretty cool prize here, Sean. You, I think you're going to like this. A Alliance branded baseball cap. And if you get lost in the dark, you're going to have that flashlight. You know what I mean? So now you got a, a baseball hat. And a flashlight. I don't know where you could ask for. But when I'm in the salt mines and I need that light, you know. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So just when you're in that salt mine down there, like, man, I should wish I had a flashlight. And I'll just go send that email to marketingaxontire.com and they'll send you one right down to that salt mine where you're at. So it'll work out well for everybody. <laughs> and if you're one of the first 150 people to sign up for the Movie Nine Summit, come on up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Uh, go to my website and sign in uh, or sign up uh, on the registration page there and use Axon for the uh, for the discount password and you'll get a $50 discount from on your registration fee. So check that out too. All right. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Powered by Farm Credit, AgDirect is built for today's agricultural 
Agriculture with simple application, quick response, competitive rates, and generous flexible terms. AgDirect buy offers buy, lease, and refinance options on almost all types of new and used equipment. Non-recourse and timely funding back to the dealership puts sales incentives, no uh, plus sales incentives, no other ag equipment lender works like AgDirect. Learn more by calling your AgDirect territory manager or 888-525-9805 or visit agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and optimal pricing insights. This podcast is also brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The dealer connects CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership to create connected customer experience to transform how you work today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing outstanding as always here in um, blustery Des Moines, Iowa. Blustery, so. yeah, right on. <coughs> Are you up there doing a, a recording, a mark to market? Market to market. I'll be doing a show that later today. I also have a farm credit webinar in the middle of the day. Um, you never a dull moment. Um, never a dull moment in the life of Sean Hackett, world traveler. I have plenty of time to rest when it's all over. That's what I That's keep right. saying myself. That's right. When you retire, you can not talk about sugar and be god crazy. god takes me you know i've got all kinds of time to rest so that's that's right that, that i'm not worried about that's right a new guy wants to say a lot i'll rest when i'm dead <laughs> i'm like i don't know i feel like i'd want to rest before that but maybe yeah i'm trying you know I'm, I'm planning on it but uh <laughs> yeah all right sean so we're taking a look at soybean market today and what's going on there uh fundamentally the soybean market should be doing um a lot worse than what it is, but there's something on the back end that's uh, keeping it up there. So, Sean, I guess as you look at that soybean marketplace, what are your thoughts there? And what do you think that propping up pressure, whatever you want to call it, on the on the back end is? Well, first of all, I, I don't think that this weather pattern shift that we've seen in Argentina is permanent. I do think we're going to revert back to dry. You're not going to reverse a one in 65-year drought. It's because you've had a week of rains, although every bit helps. Um, so I think that in the back of the mind is still bothering the market and that we're what we've gained on Brazil, we're taking some of that away by having less soybeans and less bean meal and less bean oil coming out of the number one exporter in the world in Argentina. And, you know, of course, a year ago, everyone was talking about this renewable diesel craze and how this massive demand was coming from all these processing plants that we're constructing and we're going to complete late 23 into 24. The numbers don't work. How are we going to make this happen? And all of a sudden, we just sort of stops talk, stop talking about it. And I don't, last time I checked, nothing has changed. That's coming. And you know, when I look out ahead, when you look at the numbers, they really don't work. I mean, we actually, if if the demand for soybeans for crushing oil for for renewable diesel, if the numbers are correct for the demand side, we don't have enough soybeans, even if we get rid of our exports entirely. So I'm thinking that the U.S. exports are going to have to drop significantly from later in 23 into 24 in order to allow supplies to be available domestically or the exporters, you know, the those that export from us are going to have to bid up the price of soybeans to a price level that's no longer profitable to make bean oil. Um, Either way, it says to me that there's going to be an underlying bid in this market on breaks for those two reasons. And I think that seems to me where maybe the market is getting 
overly bearish. I mean, everyone is bearish soybeans. Everyone is saying sell. Everyone is saying it's going a lot lower. And the market really is not showing that kind of weakness yet. Maybe it still will, but I kind of feel that you know you have everybody on one side of the boat right now. And that's usually a dangerous time for a move, a surprise move, move the other way when no one is expecting it. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so so we look. I, I saw an article this morning. I'm kind of breezing through my stuff here. That Ukraine grain shipments via export deal top 18 million metric tons. So as of January 26, the total tonnage grain and other food stuff exports from Ukraine port via the Black Sea grain deal stood at 18.4 million metric tons, according to the Joint uh, uh, Coordination Center, whatever that is. A, a total of 1,354 voyages, 878. Inbound and 676 outbound have been inspected. So taking a look at that, I mean, I know that's still significantly down from what what normal traffic is. I mean, it's like a fraction, small fraction of what that is. But are you, uh, if you're looking at that from your perspective, Sean, are you surprised by that? Is that what you would expect? I mean, what's your thoughts on that story? Well, I mean, I think everyone's surprised that they were able to ship out so much grain during wartime. You know, the expectation a year ago when wheat was trading for 13 or 14 was that that was not possible. And then somehow when Turkey negotiated this corridor deal with Russia and they allowed this grain to get out, um, you know, it was a big surprise. And obviously it's been pretty bearish on the wheat price dropping in half almost. So, you know, but when I look, but I, I think essentially what the market has done, it's taken those ending stocks that the Ukraine had above ground from the prior year. And those supplies have now been moved out of the country. So even if the corridor deal remains in place and they continue to ship out grain in the manner with which they have, which is still a big question mark, given what appears to be an escalation of war, um, they're only going to be able to sell what they grow now, not what they grew plus what they had in ending stocks. And, you know, planted acreage is down 40 to 50 percent from pre-war levels, and that's not going to change for the foreseeable future and could actually fall further. So um, I do believe that the, you know, sweet spot of having some grain in or, you know, ease back this shortage that was expected took place last year, but we don't have that excess availability from Ukraine any longer. And I think that enters or offers a new hole in the wheat marketplace. Once the Russians stop lowballing their wheat exports as they're right now trying to desperately raise cash to keep funding the war. And I, so I think that's, Kind of what I see going later out in the year is a is a war escalation, some significant, um, you know, additional destabilization in the region, a possible a slowing down of those exports, um, potentially even a canceling of the corridor deal, and and or or best case scenario, you know, Ukraine only being able to ship out, you know, half of what they did in the last year because that's all they actually have, you know, to sell. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel where we are now with the wheat price. The wheat price is now a better deal. Wheat feed is actually more economical to feed animals than is corn feed. And so usually throughout history, when wheat prices get to that fundamental level, that tends to put a pretty good low in the marketplace. So I feel very good that the risk reward here in the wheat market is favorable to the upside. And if I'm a cash buyer of wheat for any purpose, I certainly think that I would be gaining some cash market length and and you know protecting upside price risks at this time. Yeah. Okay. 
So let's talk about a little bit on the, uh, you know, you talked about uh, soybean just a little bit ago and what that looks like from the biodiesel standpoint and crush crush oils and all those things that come into play. Um, Malaysia and India, or India, Indonesia are sitting down to talk about um, what the crude palm oil benchmark price needs to look like and how that's going to affect supply chains and those things around the world. I guess, Sean, taking a look at this, at this renewable um diesel with the and and the crush rates of palm oil and, and those kind of things what effect do you think that'll have on the marketplace and do you feel like um there is some more upside to this um exportable you know vegetable oil marketplace well vegetable oils have had a big correction everyone got excited a year ago on this phrase as we talked about and it, it all seems to have been forgotten um, you know, we've had some improved palm oil production, and it just seems that the market, you know, has has gotten bored with the story for now. But, you know, remember, Indonesia has huge mandates for biodiesel from palm oil. And I, and, and I don't see this push for going down this renewable diesel um, uh, policy globally. I mean, it looks like it's full speed ahead at least, you know, for the next one to two years before maybe the politics shift. Because at some point, Casey... You know, if we lose the export market of the U.S. because of renewable diesel and soybean prices, you know, skyrocket to $20 plus because the world is who's, you know, does not no longer has soybeans from the U.S., the food versus fuel argument is going to take center stage again because of how high prices have become the inflation worry over food yeah. after the world, you know, on the edge of starvation. You know, it's going to be a big issue. And I would think that many countries who are up for elections here in 2024, it's going to be hard to get a vote from somebody if you don't tell them that food becomes ahead of fuel. And so that's going to be a very interesting dynamic that plays out. And certainly the Indonesian policy, um, Southeast Asian policy over their uh, renewable diesel, what the price needs to be and how they... Um, you know, what kind of supplies they allow onto the market for non-renewable diesel needs is going to obviously, every vegetable oil is involved in this, whether it's palm oil, whether it's canola oil, whether it's sunflower oil, whether it's bean oil, vegetable oils as a category, you know, are all going to be impacted by how palm oil, uh, the, the mix between renewable diesel and food needs is plays out because obviously palm oil production is the largest in the world. Yeah. So. Yeah, I could imagine that it'd be hard to tell somebody we're gonna make sure you have cheap fuel, but your food your food prices are gonna be screwed up. You know, everyone's saying, Oh, we gotta get these food prices down, you know, we gotta do everything we can to get food more economical. Yet the policy of renewable diesel from be from vegetable oil is going to promote food inflation. If but, if if these numbers are to be believed, I mean, I look at this balance sheet of these numbers, they simply do not work, Casey. They don't work. So I don't know if they just they're just making it up and it's not going to happen or, or, or we just got a, a heck of a problem on our hands, which, which would not be unusual for politicians to make a policy without thinking it through. No, come on, Sean. That never happens. Ever. It'd be the first. It'd be the first. It'd be the first time something like that ever happened. It'd be like unprecedented, you know, for, you know just totally out there. Yeah. I didn't think by pouring this bucket of water on my head, I'd get wet. Oh my goodness. All right. All right, so take uh, take a look at some down here on the on the cattle side of, of the business. We, you you talked a lot about this going in the first quarter of the year that you'd expect to see some cooling off of the cattle marketplace, and I think this for this whole month of January, you've seen 
an extreme amount of volatility up and down both, but it is starting to quiet down to the fact where you are seeing just lower prices week over week over week. So I guess talk a little bit about the cattle side uh, of the business. As much as the supplies uh, of, cat, of animals and cattle are going to continue to dwindle, I still think for right now, with the drop-off in demand seasonally and the drop-off in demand due to the delayed effects of the Fed tightening interest rate policy, I think that demand is going to fall below even what would historically be tight supply. It doesn't mean a crash, you know, it doesn't mean a crash market, um, Casey, but, but it does mean that we could have a credible correction here to reflect that into the spring before I think the animals reductions and availabilities start to get to a point that even if demand remains weak, we still start to see supplies being insufficient. And then of course, no matter how bad the economy is, somebody's going to fire up a grill somewhere in the, in the country and do something to have a gathering and mm-hmm. demand seasonally will increase. And so I still feel, you know, once we get to, let's say mid late spring onward, I think the supply demand balance turns more positive, but I do think the between now and mid spring, the likelihood is that we're going to have too much supply for the demand. And that means prices should still work lower, at least for that time frame. Right okay. All right. Lastly, um, hogs have had a good week, but they've still just had to struggle the whole month here. So looking at hogs, what are your thoughts there? As um, unprecedented as the inability for the U.S. producer to want to grow the herd, despite what have been fairly good prices for a while, meaning we've never really seen a situation where prices have been good, profitability has been good, and they have not grown the hog herd. All they've been doing is keeping the same number of animals and adding weights. That's essentially what they've been doing. We still need Chinese demand to clear the inventory. We cannot sell enough to Mexico to offset it. There's not enough domestic demand to offset it. And, you know, I always hear this argument, oh, you know, with some you know, high beef prices and of course the avian flu and the egg shortage and the on and, and off and on, on again, chicken shortage, you know, that means a lot more demand for pork, you know, on the margin, that's true, but there's only so much, so much pork anyone's going to eat. You right. know I mean? It's not like you're going to go to hundred percent pork in your diet. It doesn't work that way. It just means to the extent that you'll max out what you would hurt, you know, consume in pork, meaning everyone has a maximum amount of beef they're going to consume in a given year. Bar none, and uh, I, you know, obviously, I believe the market is being is telling consumers to do that. But I don't think we can push that much more than we've had. So I think there's a limit to how much more demand we can get for pork domestically without getting Chinese demand back. And so, obviously, monitoring what happens this spring into the summer. Do they finally get over this COVID? Do people get confident in China? Do they go back out, get their jobs back, start going to restaurants? Um, a lot, you know, that th- there's going to be a big, um, be a big moment when they get back from their holidays here to see how that's progressing. Because obviously, if they are going to see a boomerang in demand, pork demand, and the need for importing pork from outside would be strongly one of those areas that would be beneficial, and so that would be hugely pro- um, positive for U.S. demand for pork from China. So I think right now I'm feeling similar to cattle, I just don't see demand being good enough heading into the spring. Even though it's been a choppy trade, we've have been trending downward. And I just think we need to do more of that kind of action in the spring. And then I think like beef, we get that seasonal pickup in demand 
And obviously, we look for signs that Chinese exports are starting to pick up. If we get that, the back half of the year should be um, a better time for the hog producer price. Right on. Okay. All right. Lastly, uh, let's talk a little bit about, like you just talked about there with the, the Chinese demand, those kind of things. Chinese uh, reports out of China, so take this grain of salt, but they're up 23.1% from the same period last year as far as travel goes in or inside the inside the uh, country of China um, during the Lunar New Year. Um, but travel was still off 88.6% from the same period in 2019. So obviously there's still a lot of uh, a lot of just you know people that haven't gone anywhere yet and, and looking at, but you're still seeing a, a fair amount of, of movement there in that direction. Looking out across the through the first quarter and the second quarter, Sean, do you start seeing more hog demand that way going to China? I mean, do you, is your is your expectation to see the hog herd or hog uh, exports to China uh, really start to pick up, or do you kind of anticipate this is a slow start into like maybe the third or fourth quarter? Kind of think it's going to be a slow start in the second quarter. It will improve. <laughs> I don't think we get the uh, hockey stick kind of looking demand side boomerang until we get into the third quarter. I think it's going to be slower than many people think China's a big country. Um, and, 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 you know, the chaos that we experienced from a couple of months of hard lockdowns and a year of soft lockdowns. Um, I can only imagine the chaos that would be there after, you know, let's say a year and a half of, rolling hard lockdowns it, it 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 may take a little longer to kind of wheel that engine again um and get it running again so i think we'll see a, some improvement but i don't think we're going to see the um the green light until the third quarter but talking about travel obviously um travel before covid in china 45 million chinese traveled uh at the low just a month ago 2 million chinese traveled there's nowhere to go but up. Uh, but you know, if we were to get even halfway back to the 45 million travelers, you know, the impact to the travel industry globally, not just in China, but all, not, well, wherever Chinese are going to go, they're going to go to Europe, they're going to go to Southeast Asia, they're going to come, you know, all over the place, and they're going to spend a lot of money. And you know, it'd be, be a massive, massive um, increase in demand for the tourist industry, for the airline industry, for the hotel industry. I mean, you go down the list and obviously, you know, that means the demand for a lot of things that go with you know, what do travelers do? They eat a lot of food. They drink a lot of coffee. They drink a lot of alcohol. You know, we go down the list of things that they do, but um, so, 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 you know, there's a lot of moving pieces to who wins first, second, and third. It's kind of like the ag cycle, right? There's early cycle industries that do well. There's there's later cycle industries. Well, I think in China, I don't think it's all for one, one for all. I think certain industries like tourism will be first out of the gate. We probably see big hockey stick move in the first, in the second quarter, but it doesn't mean the consumer domestically um, in aggregate is going to show the same hockey stick reaction. So I think we need to be partitioning which industries and which areas and which products we're talking about here. Right on. Okay. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have a lot of interviews, white papers, sample reports to go over what we do, how we do it, and how we make our price forecast to see if those that are listening to your podcast that have an interest in agriculture might uh, see some value. 
Right on. Good. Appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate it. Safe travels, buddy. Will do. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this on the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out. Um, want to get more information about everything Moving Iron related in the Moving Iron Summit, go to movingironllc.com for everything related there. Sign up for the Moving Iron Summit there and take advantage of that $50 discount from Axon for the first 150 people that sign up. Um, if you would like to get um, more information about the library of the Moving Iron Podcast and the blogs that are written, check out check out the Moving Iron Podcast uh, website there as well, and you can see all that stuff there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. It's going to be smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century.